Podcasts from Aberdeen Standard Investment Trusts. Invest in good company. Hello and welcome to the latest in the Aberdeen Standard Investment Trust podcast series. With me today is David Smith, Head of ESG in Asia, Yu Jong Oh, Manager of the Aberdeen Asian Income Fund. We'll be talking about the ESG process at Aberdeen Standard Investments and how it's implemented on the trust. Welcome, David and Yu Jong. Um, David, I wonder if we could start with a big picture view of ESG. What is it? Why is it important? Hi. Uh, well, thanks for having me. ESG refers to uh, the analysis of environmental and social and governance factors. And really, that's an understanding of uh, the way the company is managed. So that's the governance part and also the impact that the company is having on the environment and on society at large. And as long-term investors, we think that understanding these factors help us make a better judgment around the quality of the company. So rather than looking at a narrow information set, just the financial numbers and how much money we think the company is going to make next year, for example, looking at a broader spectrum of information around these E and S and G factors, helps us fully understand the way the company's positioned for long-term sustainable growth. Okay, and there, and there are different interpretations of ESG, and it can sometimes end up being a bit of a, an alphabet soup, you know, SRI and ESG and these kind of things. How do people's views tend to differ, and, and what's the ASI philosophy on this? Absolutely, you're right. And it can be, uh, can be a bit of an alphabet soup, as you say. Uh, there's a, there's a variety or a spectrum of views as to approaching this, uh, this issue. And we've seen some people have looked at screening and removing certain sectors, which is a, uh, an approach that might see someone exclude a certain company or a certain country right up to the other end of the spectrum, uh, which is around the integration of uh, these factors in the investment process and the way you look at companies to better understand a company. And for us, uh, as we look to manage our, our portfolios, we've looked to integrate ESG as part of that investment process. So our philosophy sees us do a lot of research before we buy companies, look to understand the way they interact with their supply chain, the way they impact the environment, so how much are they, uh, how much are they polluting the the sea or the earth or the air, how are they working with employees, for example, and how are senior management incentivized uh, and how are the, the board of directors uh, put together. The other difference in approach is that we've seen uh, one approach have uh, a, a large uh, group of ESG analysts in a, in a HQ uh, of, a, of a fund manager, for example, that work loosely uh, with fund managers and contribute uh, indirectly to the investment process. We've chosen an alternate uh, approach whereby we have ESG analysts such as myself integrated within the investment team within the region that we're looking at to allow us to be closer to companies, closer to markets, closer to uh, to the countries and closer to the issues that we're looking at and to be able to work more closely with fund managers as we meet and understand the companies that, that we're looking to invest in. Okay. And then... I mean, certain areas such as strong governance have presumably always been part of the investment process um, and, and the way that people select companies. Um, but how is, how is the ESG process 
kind of evolved in recent years in terms of both the areas that you look at um, and also the kind of disclosure you're getting from companies? Yeah, that's a great question. So ESG has always been part of our, our due diligence process when we're looking at companies, but I think it's fair to say that we have iterated and strengthened the process on ESG over the last, uh, last let's say, three five years or potentially longer. And that's not really been around a change in the process. It's just been a strengthening of the way that we've looked at it. It's been a deeper integration of these factors as part of our process. It's been around uh, putting additional resources within regions, within different uh, fund management teams across the, across Aberdeen Standard Investments. We now have dedicated ESG analysts in every region uh, for, for equities for Aberdeen Standard Investments. I think the information we're getting from corporates is also evolving. So within Asia, if you were to go back, well, I've been with the firm for almost a decade now. But if you go back over that period of time, uh, the beginning we saw uh, reasonable disclosure in some of the developed Asia markets, but really the ENS component of ESG was somewhat nascent in terms of the disclosures and reporting that companies were making. And we've seen this strong focus on ESG reporting from corporates around this region, driven by strong interest from, from fund managers such as ourselves and also from broader, uh, broader societal interests, really pushed that reporting forward. Now, there's still a big spectrum of quality of reporting, and the challenge in Asia is that it is a market that is characterized by high levels of information asymmetry across the region uh, as to ESG quality. So to an extent, and to, to put it simply, it's very difficult to know how good companies are in terms of their ESG by reading the annual report. There are some companies that do really, really well at managing their environmental impact and have really, really good supply chain management, for example, but are simply not reporting uh, well on that. They're not telling their story good enough. And I suppose a, a, a bigger risk is the companies that report this really, really well and have really nice, glossy annual reports, but are perhaps not managing those risks or, or minimizing their impact uh, as much as we would like them to. So one part of our work as owners of companies and being situated in this region is to work with the companies that we own in our various portfolios constructively to encourage them to disclose more, but also to, to work with them to look at comparable companies across the region from their sector and say, well, look, this is uh, an example of the kind of disclosures you could be making. This is the, the kind of reporting you could be looking to. And also, here's the benefit of making those uh, disclosures and improving your, your reporting quality, because we think that investors around the world are increasingly looking at ESG factors. And so by having better disclosure and more fulsome reporting, we think those companies would be more visible to global investors looking at this region. So we've seen reporting improve. It's still uh, a broad spectrum, but we're spending a lot of time working with companies to, to help them better tell their story. And obviously, there's a lot going on internally. Do you make any use of external providers or external research? Yeah, absolutely. So I think this goes back to, to my earlier comment around the high levels of information asymmetry around ESG. So if you are a third-party uh, ESG research firm, so someone looking from the outside in, it's sometimes quite difficult to be able to make a judgment as to the ESG quality 
of a company. So you're looking simply at an annual report or other similar disclosures, and they can be fairly sparse. And that may result in a, in a fairly low score for a company, which in some cases, or, or in many cases, could be quite undeserving. Uh, whereas we spend a lot of time with companies, uh, understanding companies and doing our research. So we've developed our own uh, ESG score for companies, whereby we draw on our own experience and our own research to assess the ESG quality of a company. And there can be sometimes be uh, big disparities between the way we view a company and the way external researchers provide uh, view a, a company because we have a better understanding of the company through our research process. And again, part of the work we do with companies is to improve disclosure, to, to bring, uh, bring the, the, the perspective of third-party providers up to the level at which we see companies. Um, you, John, I'm going to bring you in here as well. Um, I wonder if you could both talk about how ESG is integrated into the investment process at, at ASI and how you work together. Um, David, if you, if you could go first, and, and then we'll bring in you, John, after that. Well, the understandings we have of ESG as part of the investment process uh, take, a, take their inspiration or start in a large way from the work we do in different sectors. So we look at sectors uh, in some detail. We will sketch out our understanding of where a sector is going over the next, uh, let's say, three to five years, what are the, the attractions of a sector, uh, what are the drivers of value in, in that sector, and what are the risks in, in that sector to achieving the, that value. And part of that is, is these fundamental trends we see in a sector, and part of that is ESG. If you look at the real estate sector, that would obviously have different ESG risks and opportunities from, for example, utilities, which would be different, again, from information technology. And then the people who are doing the research on the companies themselves, so what we would call a stock owner or the stock analyst, integrates those perspectives from the way we look at a sector into the questions that we ask of companies. So if you meet a company in the real estate sector, then it's very easy to see uh, for the analysts that we've got in the region, what are the big ESG risks and opportunities in that sector? And therefore, what are the key issues for that company and what should we be looking out for in terms of the way they're managing their, their ESG? So for every research note we do on a company, we're asking questions around ESG. We're trying to understand the ESG quality of a company and the way they're positioned for long-term sustainable growth. That's fully integrated into the investment process in as much as it's the stock analysts themselves who are doing this research rather than a separate team in a separate region or relying on third-party research providers to, to tell us how to think about ESG. Um, and just to add some additional color, so David is one of three ESG experts in the region, um, and they all very much sit with the fund managers here in Singapore. So before COVID meant that we were all working from home, uh, David and I used to be desk neighbors, so the sharing of ideas and thoughts, and that was very natural, um, along with all the other ESG analysts also sitting embedded within the investment desk as well. Um, David and I have been uh, fortunate enough to travel to other countries to attend AGMs together. And I've also been to some virtual um, EGMs during 2020 with his colleagues here in Singapore. So it's really about sharing meetings, making sure that we can bring out the best engagement so we take not only the stock owner but also an ESG analyst that can 
provide a framework for the discussion that we might be having to have with any corporate at any one time. Um, and that can really help us to focus on what our engagement priorities are on a company-by-company company basis. Um, so David earlier mentioned just how we use external um, ESG ratings as well as what we do internally as well. And I think that's useful because sometimes, as he said, um, an external rating agency might not have the same view um, that we do. And ours is obviously built from very much a bottom-up perspective, having met with the management of these companies over many, many years. So one such example would be Singapore's Venture Corporation, which is one of the um, larger holdings that we have in the Aberdeen Asian Income Fund. Um, and they've recently had their ESG rating upgraded by MSCI this year on governance improvements. Uh, and this is particularly pleasing for us as a team, as we've been in discussions with Venture on this very topic uh, and have encouraged the addition of new directors with diverse experiences and backgrounds to provide new perspectives. And this has seen them introduce four new independent non-executive directors to refresh the board over the past couple of years. So that action has resulted in them getting an upgrade in their external ESG rating. So really it's about trying to work with our corporates and, and ensure that um, we can try and lift the ESG rating of our holdings, which obviously benefits the ESG rating of the fund itself. Can you just talk a bit about why it's important in helping you identify sort of good quality businesses? Is, is it about identifying just risks or is there a sort of alpha opportunity there as well? Yeah, so I think David made a really good point earlier about how we don't use ESG just to filter out um, what are perceived to be bad sectors. So this fund, for example, um, we have decided not to own any tobacco companies, which is traditionally a high dividend yield sector. So that's quite rare uh, for an income fund. And perhaps that might come as a surprise. Um, so there is that's probably the only uh, filtering out that we do. What we try and do is really use our ESG engagements on a forward-looking basis, as you say, to, to drive future alpha as well, to identify key themes uh, and companies with strong management teams and governance frameworks that show a clear willingness to become ESG leaders in the future. So if we look at a company like LG Chem, for example, this is a Korean uh, company. They were big in the chemicals business, but they use the cash flow from that chemicals business to invest into um, large batteries for electric vehicles and large-scale energy storage. So we initiated LG Chem into this fund about three years ago. And at that time, markets were not ascribing much value to these then loss-making businesses. But we've obviously seen good share price growth and dividend growth more recently as LG Chem's batteries business is now recognized as one of the global leaders in this space. So it's really about trying to identify these themes, try and think about what might be drivers in the future, uh, and, and, and what can make a positive impact onto fund performance looking forward. Okay, and you mentioned that you, you're both involved with the engagement with companies. Could you just talk a little bit about what that looks like in practice? Sure, there are probably two components to engagement that I'll talk about. Uh, we usually 
divide engagement into uh, either protecting the value of uh, our clients' assets or enhancing the value of our clients' assets. Now, if you look at protecting the value of our clients' assets, then those would tend to be engagements where we are trying to ensure that uh, the companies that we've bought, which we, we think are high-quality companies, uh, continue uh, to be high-quality companies and are engagements where we're continuing to get more information around the way the company manages its ESG risk. So these engagements could be around better understanding the way the company manages, uh, for example, its water risk. If you look at semiconductor manufacturing, and one of the companies we own across a number fund is TSMC, a semiconductor manufacturing company in Taiwan. Obviously, semiconductor manufacturing is a, is a very water-intensive process, and we think that the ability to manage uh, water stress and water risk is a competitive advantage in terms of your ability to, to, to operate over the long term. So that discussion is ongoing and helps us better understand and better protect the value uh, of, uh, of our clients' investments. The other part of the engagement is around enhancing the value of investment, and that's where we work constructively uh, with companies that we own uh, around, uh, around structures or processes uh, or around capital allocation to better understand why decisions are being made and also to provide constructive feedback as to way we think that, that processes or structures or capital allocation could be improved uh, for the benefit of, of minority shareholders. Now, that's not to say that, that we know everything about running a business, but it's about asking uh, provocative questions around capital allocation, around uh, return hurdles, around why companies continue to invest in, in X business or, or Y business, and also drawing on our expertise around this region, for example, where we've got around 50 fund managers uh, on the equities team, to say, well, look, we're seeing this trend in this sector in, in another country. Is that something that you're seeing in your sector? Or by saying we're seeing this trend or this development at this part of the supply chain, is that something that's affecting you? And how do you think you can manage that? or even drawing on the work we do globally. So we may own a competitor to an Asian company in, a, in an American fund or a European fund, for example, and be able to say, well, we've seen this happen in the U.S. or in the U.K., for example. Is that something that we're seeing in your market? And is that something that you think you would be well positioned uh, to take advantage of? So we can see those two types of engagement, uh, both protect and enhance, uh, engagement, then obviously these are these should be of interest to, to fund managers and, and stock analysts because these have the, the potential to impact the fundamental value of, of the companies that we're looking at. So obviously this is something you do collaborative with, with the people that cover the stocks in our portfolios. Great. Uh, you, John, have you, have you got anything to add there? No, I think David's covered everything um, very well. I think it's also worth noting that his team will um, suggest an idea for us to focus on. So he mentioned water uh, and, and water consumption in semiconductor manufacturing processes and how that needs to be sustainable uh, in the local communities. And then he, him and his team will uh, give us this thought and then it's up to the sector um, team as well as the stock owners to really go and find out what is going on in terms of water recycling and water usage at these companies, so um, the, the meetings can be held together, so it will be the, the analyst as well as an ESG analyst will go and they'll um, discover that someone like TSMC recycles over 
85% of the water used in its plants so that each single drop of water is used three and a half times, um, or that Samsung Electronics plant is the first um, semiconductor plant to get water footprint certification from the UK's Carbon Trust. Um, so all these things are things that add to our picture of the ESG rating of the company as a whole, and it's something that we can monitor, as David mentioned, within our regular sector reviews and stack them up against the other um, semiconductor players that we own globally throughout our other portfolios. So it's really about um, being able to share that data, having all this um, data available to us, to all the fund managers, um, and being able to benefit from the collective knowledge uh, of having these 50 analysts and fund managers on the ground here in Asia um, to provide that level and depth of coverage. Okay, and, and David, just, just finally from you, I mean, what do you think is unique about the, the approach that um, you've helped build at ASI? I think what's unique is the degree of integration ESG has into the investment process both in terms of the process itself and the individuals who are embedded within the equities team around the world. So as, as we've mentioned, there are three of us in, in Singapore who work with the 50 or so fund managers across the region. I think what's unique is the degree of integration we have into discussions and understandings of companies around the region. So it's not easy to discuss ESG from a knowledgeable perspective and an experienced perspective, uh, understanding a company's unique uh, position in an industry, position in a value chain, what are the key drivers of value and competitive pressures that that company may be facing. So it may be easy uh, to, to send the odd letter to a company to say, we think you should do X or Y better, uh, otherwise we're going to sell you. I think it's a lot more difficult to fully understand the way that the company makes money what the risks are around that company, what the competitive pressures are that that company is feeling, how industries are going to evolve and how positioned that company is for these changes to the industry. So it's a lot more hard work than having a separate ESG function, but we think ultimately it gives us a, a richer insight. I think the other uh, unique facet of, of what we do is just the length of time we've been doing it. So this isn't something that we've been doing uh, just over the last couple of years. We've been doing this for the last couple of decades, and we've been able to build on the experience we've gleaned uh, looking at ESG for the last uh, two, three decades to iterate forward to where we are now in terms of our industry understanding. So there's a few things that are unique, but I think I would certainly point to the degree of integration we've got, both in terms of the people and the way that it's looked at in terms of the investment process. It is a lot of hard work, but... We do believe that a strong governance track record bodes well for good environmental and social policy frameworks to be embedded into our um, investment companies as well. And a good management team, of course, is also respectful of minority shareholders and more prudent with capital allocation, which is supportive of dividends. Um, so this is very much aligned with the interests of our stakeholders including the unit holders, as well as the board of directors of the Aberdeen Asian Income Fund, who have been very supportive um, of, 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 of our embodiment of ESG within our investment process. Great. Okay. Thank you, David and Yu Jong, for those insights today. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. 
Uh, you can find out more about the trust at www.asian-income.co.uk and please do look out for future episodes. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for information purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments of products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen Standard Investments. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns. Return projections are estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.